This is episode number 119 with David Allen. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This week's podcast is brought to you by Sunlight and Saunas. Now, if you've been following me on Instagram stories for a while, you will know I love my infrared sauna time. We have had one in our Bondi home for a few years now, but we recently got one in our Noosa home too, which is epic. And I often get asked about my favorite wellness and self-care rituals. And with the amount that I am on and off airplanes, by far one of my favorites is time in my sauna. It's just time for me. No one can interrupt. I love it. And I personally want to be the best version of myself. And infrared saunas have been an amazing way for me to rest rejuvenate, rebuild, and heal my body and mind. And since I've personally been using it, I've noticed my skin get clearer and some aches and pains that I had in my lower back have minimized. And the best part is I always feel bursting with energy when I get out. And it's just awesome. Afterwards, I always try and jump in the ocean, which is just pure bliss. It's so delicious. So for all my Aussie and New Zealand-based listeners, I have a $500 gift voucher for you. All you have to do is head to sunlighten.com.au forward slash Melissa and mention the code word Melissa Ambrosini in your inquiry to receive your $500 voucher. How epic is that? And be sure to tag me in your sauna pics when you get it. One of the world's most influential thinkers on productivity, David's 35 years experience as a management consultant and executive coach have earned him the titles of personal productivity guru by Fast Company magazine and one of America's top five executive coaches by Forbes magazine. And the American Management Association has ranked him in the top 10 business leaders. His best-selling book, The Groundbreaking Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, has been published in 30 languages. And the GTD methodology it describes has become a global phenomenon, being taught by training companies in 60 countries. David His company and his partners are dedicated to teaching people how to stay relaxed and productive in our fast-paced world. Sounds pretty good to me. And I've been using David's Getting Things Done methodology for about four and a half, five years now, and it is life-changing. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode today. 
because in this episode, we chat about his journey and how he got to where he is today, the inspiration behind the widely successful productivity system and best-selling book, Getting Things Done, the powerful five stages of mastering workflow, the biggest thing that's getting in your way of being super productive, the power of creating space in your mind and why you need to learn how to brain dump, how to focus and get in the flow state, how to prioritize, what is intuitive action, plus so much more. You guys are going to want to whip out your pen and paper and take serious notes on this one. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 119. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from Melly Belly. And she says, I love this podcast so much. The format is great. And Melissa interviews amazing people. I sure do. I have listened to almost all of the podcasts whilst painting my house. That's a good use of your time. And I have learned so many things and feel like I have grown so much. I appreciate your energy and all of the fabulous information that you share. I love knowing about people's morning routines too. Yeah, so do I. Thank you so much, Melly, for that beautiful five-star review. I'm so grateful. And don't forget, if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review right now. And without further ado, let's bring on the super inspiring David Allen. Welcome, David. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had my uh, glass of lemon water that I wake up with every morning, just sort of cleanse the system. I had a fabulous cup of French press uh, coffee and a protein drink. Mm, yummy, 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 yummy. Now, I'm so excited for this conversation because I was first introduced to your work about four and a half years ago by my husband, and he had been using your Getting Things Done system, and he loved it. And once I was exposed to it, I also was hooked. So can you tell us about your story and journey to where you are today, and in particular, how you created the Getting Things Done system, and what was the inspiration behind it? Well, there were two sort of vectors that came together. Back in the early 1980s, uh, one is I started my own consulting practice. After 35 jobs, by the time I was 35, the only the only option left is consultant. So you know, I sort of hopped into that into that game. I was a really good number two guy. I helped uh, a lot of friends and people that I knew in my network with their businesses as they were starting up. And I would just come in and, and look at what what they were doing and say, "Is there some easier way we can make this happen?" So I've always been I, I'm not a naturally organized guy. I'm a naturally lazy guy. So I. I'm always thinking, is there some easier way we can get this stuff done? As I started my own consulting practice, I thought, you know, it would really be nice in case it wasn't obvious how to help somebody if I had, you know, a good model or two that I could pull out of my back pocket and and use that. And it would, you know, pretty much guarantee that I could help people improve their condition and their situation. So I was very hungry for models that would work. A model meaning, okay, think this way, answer this question, you know, um, uh, focus on these kind of things. 
And so I began to pull those together. But at the same time, I had been uh, in martial arts and my own spiritual practices and meditation and so forth. I'd sort of tasted what it was like to have sort of nothing on your mind, have a clear space in your head, which was quite delicious. And it happened to be a very practical place to operate from, you know, without any kind of distraction. But my life, as my life was getting more complex uh, professionally, I saw that screwed up clear space pretty easily. So I got very hungry to say, how, how can I still have you know a busy life that I have and still maintain this sort of clarity of mind that I had tasted uh, in, you know, in my other practices? So I got very hungry for myself, first of all, Melissa. I, I needed to keep my head clear. I, I like that. I like that feeling. I'm, I'm a freedom kind of guy. I don't like to feel like I'm being held hostage by stuff going on in my head that, that is not necessary. So I got very hungry for myself, found the techniques that started to work for me, and had two or three great mentors that taught me various pieces of this. And then I turned around and started using those techniques with my clients, and it produced exactly the same result as it did for me. More of a sense of control, more space, more clarity, more freedom to focus on the things that were meaningful, etc. That became a key part of my uh, consulting practice. And co- co- we didn't call it coaching back then, but that's essentially what it was. And then somebody in the big corporate world, uh, head of human resources for a big corporation, saw what I was doing and the results it produced. And he said, wow, we need that in our whole culture. You know, David, can you design some sort of a training format where we can reach a lot of people with this methodology instead of one-on-one? And I said, well, sure, I'll try. So I worked with his team for a couple of months to design a pilot program um, in personal productivity. We did a pilot for a thousand executives and managers uh, over a year's period of time, and, and it really worked. This was Lockheed in 1983-84. So I found myself thrust into the corporate training world. Could have fooled me. Um, and then since then, my my coaching and consulting actually turned a lot more into one-on-one coaching to a lot of executives in the in the in the companies and organizations that we're bringing us in for training. So I've spent thousands of hours, quite literally, one-on-one desk side with some of the busiest and brightest and best people on the planet. Uh, both refining this methodology and you know and implementing it, as well as you know me and then uh, a staff that I built, you know training hundreds of thousands of people in corporations and NGOs and you know startups and churches and all kinds of organizations that you know wanted to implement this stuff. So that's really you know fast forward now. You know I my wife and I moved to Amsterdam four years ago, and we have a, a pretty much global reach now with this. We've wound up creating partnerships because delivering and marketing, this was not our expertise, uh, but we found people you know, who were really good at that. So we partnered with Vital Smarts in the US and then we partnered with, oh, 55, 60, um, you know, basically licensees around the world that are now, that we certify their trainers and then they're delivering the training around this. So my company has shrunk from 50 people down to about seven right now and we're basically just supporting these partnerships and i'm still doing a lot of keynotes and and uh, and coaching myself still uh, just in my life so there's a there's a very short version of a very long story <laughs> at least that give you a f- framework yeah so for someone who hasn't read getting things done and doesn't know about the system how would you explain it to them well, the 22nd version is basically anything that is potentially meaningful that you can't finish when you're thinking of it any of the would, could, should, need tos, ought tos, you know, that are that are banging around in your head, get them out of your head. So you capture that stuff in some external form, you know, in some trusted bucket, write it down, you know, get it out of your head. And then sooner than later decide what we call clarify what exactly those things mean. Is it something you're you're committed to act on? 
If so, what's the very next action? And if one action won't finish it, what's the outcome of the project that you have that you are committed to finish? That's the clarify step. And then you organize the results of that. If you decide the next step is a phone call, where do you park a reminder that you need that to make that phone call? If your next step is you pick up, pick up something at the hardware store, where do you park a reminder of that? So basically, then step three is organized. That is, have some sort of trusted system that are, that holds the results of that clarification uh, about things you're committed to do. And then step four is making sure you review and reflect on all the contents of all that. So when you go out for errands, you know you're not missing anything. Uh, you're you know, going to talk to your life partner about something. You know you're not missing anything that you've already come up with and thought. So you're using a trusted system essentially as an external brain, just like your calendar or your diary. As, you know, hold stuff externally so that you don't have to, your head does, is not bothered by trying to remember and remind, which it doesn't do very well. And then step five is just engage. Okay, now, now that you looked at all that, what are you going to do now and how do I engage my attention and my activities? So there's the five-step process of how you essentially get your kitchen or anything under control is capturing, clarifying, organizing, reflecting, and then engaging your, you know, in, in a trusted way. So when I first discovered your work through my husband, he kind of looked at me and my life and was like, I don't know how you're functioning because I had to-do lists on post-it notes, on the back of envelopes, on the back of toilet paper or napkins. And I had passwords, you know, on Excel spreadsheets, but then also in exercise books. And, you know, he is the CEO of four companies and he gets so much done. He's also a dad a husband, and everyone that meets Nick says, how do you do everything you do? And he lives by your app. Like he literally lives by that whole getting things done system. He read the book, implemented it, and he lives by it. He runs all of his companies through it. And it truly has been life changing for him and me too. And it's really created space in my mind. And having a digital platform where you can capture all these ideas really is such a clean and succinct way to do it. But I love what you said, like it creates clarity, it gives you back the space for creativity, and it gives you back control. But what is the biggest thing that is getting in our way of being productive? First of all, productivity is, has got a lot of baggage as a word. Most people think, oh, I mean, harder work, sweat, you know, whatever. But productivity simply means achieving whatever desired result you have. So if you go to a party to boogie and you don't boogie, it's an unproductive party. You know, if you go on vacation to relax and you don't relax, that's unproductive. So if you think about it that way, what gets in most people's way is they haven't clarified what they're, first of all, what's the desired result? You know, what, what are you trying, what do you, what's the end game here? What's the, what, what's the goal line? You get to mark something off as finished when what's true. So the outcome thinking is half of it. And the other half is the execution piece. Okay. There's the goal. What's the next play? You know, where do you, is it a phone call you need to make, a, an email you need to write? Is it a, a website you need to surf? Is it something you need to buy at the store? What's next? What's the very next thing? So, outcome and action thinking are the real, essentially, the, the ultimate reduction or the ultimate zeros and ones of productivity. What are you trying to accomplish? And how do you allocate or reallocate your attention and your resources to actually make it happen? But interestingly, the, Melissa, those two things, uh, over the years, I wondered why people resist that thinking so much. And then a lot of the new cognitive science research has validated a very interesting point, which is those two things require two different parts of your brain. 
the outcome thinking is the visionary part of your brain. That's more sort of the forebrain, if you want to use that model. And the execution piece is more the limbic part of your brain. It's the one that it's the survival mode is the thing that actually gets stuff done, you know, moves you around you know, back and forth. But it actually takes two different kinds of things. So it, it actually is a cognitive muscle that over these, you know, 30 plus years that I've been doing this work, uh, people actually need to train that cognitive muscle. You, you need to train yourself to think about, well, wait a minute, what's this email mean? What am I trying to accomplish with this? And what's the very next thing I need to do? Because those things don't show up by themselves. They won't show up naturally. You have to train yourself to think that way. And not thinking that way is probably, to answer your question, probably the biggest hindrance for people's productivity. So how can we become more productive today? Well, <laughs> what would you like to accomplish today? You know, what would you like to do? What are, what are the things that you need to do? And you know, the way you're going to become more productive is this, this methodology, which you talked about you know, you, that you and your husband are doing. And it's really, there's actually three major steps there that I described. First of all is get stuff out of your head. You know, most people are trying to use their head as their office and your head is a crappy office. It did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things now, the new, new research. As soon as you have more than four things you're trying to keep track of in your head, and that's little, big, personal, professional, any of that stuff, any would, could, should, need tos, if you haven't captured that, it's going to be banging around in your head and exhausting your energy. That's why people feel so overwhelmed. And it's not information overwhelm. It's, it's, it's potential meaning. In other words, every one of those emails, you know, has something that is potentially meaningful to you. So you, you need to, you know, you need to <laughs> grab what those things are and answer those questions to yourself. Wait a minute, what am I committed to do here? And what's the very next action step? Oh, quite simply, if anybody is not familiar with this methodology at all, get a pen and paper, empty your head. And then everything you write down, ask yourself, what's the very next action? If I had nothing else to do, but whatever that is, that thing is, whatever I wrote down, uh, you know, your mom's health care, uh, I need cat food, uh, I need to write a new business plan, I need to uh, research a new mobile phone service, any of those kind of things. If you look at those and say, okay, what's the, if I had nothing to do but that, what would I do next? Where would I go? And so just answering that question, what's the next action is such a, as you probably know by now, is such magic, uh, to, to answer that question. And most people, you know, don't think they need to answer that question. And then the stuff bangs around in their head and starts to exhaust them in, in very subtle, but, but very real ways. And it causes overwhelm and stress. You know, for me, as soon as something pops into my head, like buy birthday card, I put it in. You know, and it's like anything that pops into my head, you know, book restaurant, call so and so, whatever it is. So I literally do a brain dump every morning and of every single thing in my mind that pops up. And then throughout the day, if anything pops up, I quickly just put it in my app and then I can sort it later. I love that it's just this succinct way of capturing anything floating around in your mind because, like you said, Anything that's going on around in our mind, it's taking up space. And that space we could potentially be using for creativity or, you know, doing our best work. When we have all of this stuff swimming around in our mind, it can be so overwhelming. And I think about my mum. She is like a typical example of this because she has a billion things going around in her head. And the amount of times I've told her, just just write it down, mum. Just write it. But she just doesn't. She just like lets it all swim around in her mind and then wonders why she's so overwhelmed. I think this is one of the best techniques to stop that overwhelm and stress. And I would love to hear, once you've done this brain dump, once you've got everything 
out of your mind, how do you focus and then get in flow? First of all, you need to have make sure that that wherever you dump this or wherever you capture this is in a trusted place. You know, I'm looking right now at my in my physical in tray, which is right in front of me, which is a fabulous capture tool. I use my own in tray more than anybody. It's got <coughs> receipts from the last day or two. It's got a, a credit card I need to stick back somewhere. It's got uh, it's got mail. It's got uh, notes from a meeting that I had with an attorney. It's got a magazine. You know, we still get paper mail. I mean. People think that we don't, but we do. So all that's still sitting there, and that's fine. I don't need to think about it because I know I will soon enough. But then I have to trust that sooner than later, I'm going to empty that entry by going through each item and then making those clarification decisions. What is this? What's the next action? Is this reference? Is this trash? Is this something that I need to move on or take an action on? If I can do it in two minutes, I'll actually do it. The two-minute rule is magic. I mean, once you decide a next action, if you actually can actually take that action right then and it takes less than two minutes, you're better off doing it then than trying to organize or remind yourself. It takes less less energy to do that. And then if I if it takes longer than two minutes to do it, then I need to capture and and park a reminder of whatever the action is in my trusted system, which is a, you know, a series of lists that are just organized so that, you know, whenever I go out for errands, I see all the errands I need to run whenever I talk to my wife, Catherine, I see all the stuff I need to talk to Catherine about. So I just, you know, park that stuff. So that's really, it's, it's really a combination of those behaviors that, you know, that really creates that sense of space and that sense of clarity. Once you do that, you know, then the, the, the idea of flow is just a natural state. You know, flow just simply means, look, you're present. You know, you're, you're present with whether you're cooking spaghetti or you're writing a business plan or having a difficult conversation. There's nothing going on except what you have your attention on. And that's the most productive state to be in. It's the best state to hit a golf ball from, the best state to do anything from, is when you're undistracted. And that is, you're not, you're not being pulled in several different directions at once. And you're right, that sense of overwhelm happens because when you keep stuff in your head, that part of your head doesn't seem to have a sense of past or future. So there's a part of you psychologically that actually thinks you should be doing all that all the time, which is totally impossible to do, but, but, but psychologically, that's how it that's, that's what's going on. And that's why people feel so tired. And any one thing, any one situation, especially if it's a significant one, you know, a problem with your husband or a problem with a, a staff person or a, a, an issue you've got with your finances, any one thing that's out of control will make your whole life feel out of control. So th- th- that stuff tends to spread pretty fast if there's any one thing that you haven't captured, clarified, or organized appropriately doesn't mean life is easy come on if it you know if you didn't have challenges you'd never grow or expand or express yourself but you just need to make sure that you're in the driver's seat of that as opposed to being the victim of it absolutely so for someone listening who realizes that they are incredibly unorganized and they've got to-do lists on to-do lists on to-do lists and they know deep within that they've got to get organized. They've got to sort it out. They want to make the change. They just don't know what the first step is. What is the first step? Well, (laughs) first step, read my book, (laughs) getting things done because it it, it has a lot of the detailed how-tos in terms of, you know, how to start to implement this. But the very first thing is to is to make sure that you've got just get yourself a big stack of plain letter sized paper and get yourself a good writing instrument, a good pen that you love and get yourself a physical in tray if you don't have one 
and then literally just start gathering all of those things, gather all those lists, gather all that stuff and put, a, put them all in your in-tray in one spot. And then you need to, you know, dedicate some time to then start going through each item. You know, that's why when I coach people one-on-one, I have them write each one of those ideas on a separate piece of paper as opposed to making one big list. You could make a list, but then, then people tend to skip over stuff and avoid them. Whereas if, it's, if, if, I, if I were sitting down with you and coaching you, you'd write every, get cat food, get a life. You'd write all those in separate pieces of paper and they'd be sitting in front of you. And then the rule is you go through them one at a time and you pick one piece of paper up and it's glued to your finger until you make the decision. What's the next action? You know, what is this? What I'm going to do about this? And there's a one-way valve out of your end basket. You can't put it back in until you actually make these decisions. So that's, that's how you would start. That is, that is the process. And I have spent literally thousands of hours you know, with some of the brightest people on the planet actually walking through that, that drill. But that's, there's no shortcut to that. You, know, you, you, you need to gather all that stuff back together into one spot. And, you know, yeah, a lot of people write a lot of things all over the place and become compulsive list makers, and that won't really solve it either because all that stuff will tend to crawl back up into your head if you're not actually clarifying and organizing the results of that. So, and basically to organize, all you need are lists. But most people haven't made a distinction between capture and organize, but those are two very different things. If you're taking notes in a meeting, that's a good, that's a capture function. But then you need to take all those notes, you know, sooner than later and decide what the heck did I just commit to? What's the next step I need to take out of all of that? Do I need to keep these notes as reference or now that I've, you know, curated them, can I throw them away? And making those kinds of decisions, then if you say, well, okay, the next step is to call my attorney but you can't call him or her right then, then you need to mark that a reminder on some list that you'll look at when you ha- have a phone in time. So that's the, that's the process. There's no shortcut to that. You actually have to hold yourself down to make those decisions. And again, it doesn't happen by itself. You have to train yourself to do it. Mm, definitely. I'm more of a digital gal. Are you more pen and paper? Capture is pen and paper for me 95% of the time. Organize is digital for me. So you know, once I go through the notes that I take, then yes, I go to my uh, digital tool. It's just a list manager and I just park stuff in there. So you, it doesn't really matter where you keep these lists. Uh, you can do it low tech. You could just keep a folder, you know, with pieces of paper in the folder that says these are all the calls I need to make or these are all the errands I need to run or these are all the notes I need to go over with my, my wife or my husband or my life partner. Uh, and so you can, that's a low tech way to do it, which is how I started doing this stuff back in 1981, 82, because that was, that was even before paper planners really showed up, but you could then do mid tech, you know, would be a, some sort of a loose leaf notebook. There's probably no better list manager than a loose leaf notebook because you can just put a page in there called calls, put a page in there called errands, put a page in there called talk to life partner, you know, so you can, that's, that's a very easy list manager. I use one of those for 20 years. And then there's the digital, and there are hundreds and hundreds now of apps out there that are digital list managers. Really, that's all they are. You could do this on a Word document. You could do this on a, in an Excel spreadsheet. And there, at last count, there were over 300 apps that had been designed around my GTD or getting things done methodology. Not mine, but you know, a lot of people out there, they, they just you know, wanted to create their own version of some list manager and sell it. So there's hundreds of those. Yeah, I use the one by Culture Code. It's called Things. So you didn't have anything to do with that, did you, or no? I had anything to do with it. They all read my book and said, wow, you know, let me just make a good list manager. So, you know, things did that. 
And uh, that's why I said a, a lot of people just, you know, created their own version of just a list manager, just different kind of bells and whistles on it. Right. Yeah. So I use the one called Culture Code and and I love it. And it's been life-changing. I'm definitely more of a digital gal. So for that, for me, that one works really well, like using your five steps, but that's the one that I use. But I get a lot of people say to me, Melissa, how do I prioritize? Because to be honest, I don't really have a problem with this. Like this isn't an issue for me. I make time for the things that are important to me. So I don't have an issue with prioritizing, but what would you say for someone who's like, I don't know how to prioritize? Well, another aspect of the getting things done methodology is the recognition of the six horizons that we have commitments about. They are somewhat hierarchical. And then the commitments that we have uh, basically are, at, and it's a little bit of a simplification, but it, it, it's, it's quite useful to think about that. For instance, the top priority would be what's your purpose as a human being? Why are you here? What really, really matters to you? You don't care where you live as long as what's true. You don't care who you live with as long as what's true. You don't care what kind of work you do as long as what's true. And that's where you'll hear sort of this top horizon, what I call horizon five. And that's the, the that's sort of your key, your, your key prioritizer. But then knowing your life purpose is maybe not going to help you decide which email to write first. So then there, if you, if you step this down, not, not lesser, but more operational, the next level would be horizon four, which is your vision. You know, if you were being wildly successful, um, you know, fulfilling your purpose, what would you be doing five years from now? Career, lifestyle, what, 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 what would that be? And so, vision will be a more operational way to think about that. And is knowing your vision going to help you decide which email? Yeah, a little bit more. But then you need to, you know, step it down another operational level and say, well, what do you need to accomplish? Do you, what kind of commitments do you think you need to finish within the next three to twenty-four months? Oh, yeah, I need to handle that. We need to make sure our finances get set up. We need to make sure our kids have the right college to go to. We make sure I need to make sure I've got elder care set up for my mom and dad. So you've got goals and objectives. You know, if you're setting goals in your, in your company, your organization, or professionally, that's pretty much where that would be, the horizon three goals and objectives, which are going to get you to your vision. And then you have horizon two, which are all the things that you're committed to maintain so that you've got a healthy enterprise or, or life. How are your finances? How's your relationships? How's your health and vitality? How's your career development? How's your self-development? How's your spiritual life? How's your dog? And all those things that you need to you know, kind of keep track of and maintain so that you can go toward your goals and your vision. And that's, that's another level of commitments that you've got. And then you come down to all the things you need to finish about all those things. Horizon one would be all the projects you've got. Get tires on your car, hire the vice president, you know, launch the ad campaign, um, research a new mobile phone service, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And most people have, oh, 30 to 100 of those kinds of projects, given that broad definition. And then you have all the stuff you need to do about any of the things I just mentioned, all the emails to send, stuff to buy at the store, et cetera. So most people live a much more complex life than they realize. So when you say, how do I set priorities? I say, well, which one of those horizons do you need to work on or clarify or make sure that you've got, you know, clearer about? That could be maybe you and your life partner need to talk about, you know, where you're, where you're going. Are you, do you have the kind of lifestyle you want? Are you doing what you need to, do you need to be doing? It's not a simple answer. Uh, I tried to get it as simple as possible, but ABC priorities and high, medium, and low, those, that's just ridiculous. That's, that's way too simple. We're, we have a much more subtle life than that. Then you have all the things that you need to figure on a minute-to-minute basis. How much time do you have? How much energy do you have? But the main thing that I've discovered is that it, once people get all this stuff out of their heads, it makes it a whole, whole lot easier to, to clarify what your priorities are. 
if you've got that stuff banging around in your head, there's just almost no way you're going to be driven by latest and loudest, not by strategy. And so get it all out. And I oftentimes don't even have to have much of a priority discussion with people because they're, they'll clarify that themselves if they just got it. I, I've never worked with an executive that at the end of two or three days of coaching them, they actually saw their complete list of 65 or 92 projects. Every one of them is a whole lot clearer about how they're going to spend the next two weeks. But they, but I didn't say anything. They just, they just externalized all that stuff and gave them the clear space to actually think more strategically or about their priorities happens automatically. Mm. This is why it's so important because we've got to create space in our mind. Otherwise it's banging around in your head and it's so important that we create the space for our deep work so that we can get in flow and do what we're here to do on earth. It's true. And, you know, I, my biggest, my, you know, one of my biggest advice to anybody is relax, chill, you know, Hey, come on, don't, don't be too serious. You know, I, I'm quite serious about not being too serious, you know, cause that'll get in your way more than anything. And of course, what gets in the way of relaxing is what we've been talking about. A lot of that stuff banging around and distractions in your head and things you're worried about and not, not feeling in control of. So getting to that more relaxed space, uh, I think is the, one of the most important things that people need more than anything else is, you know, chill, relax, you know, take it easy. And, but it's very hard to do that. And, and you know, uh, in a way, I know this may sound a little silly, but one of the hallmarks of how well you do this methodology is how easily you can do nothing. Most people have a tough time doing nothing. I love nothing. Nothing to me is my favorite state <laughs> to be in. Uh, is being totally open to whatever's, you know, showing up spontaneously and intuitively about what I do. You know, a whole lot of my life is not on any of my list. I just do it spontaneously as I feel like it. But I have the freedom to do that because of my list. Yeah, we've definitely got to not stress, have a little bit more fun, relax, chill out. It's not the end of the world. You know, I think we we bring a lot of pressure to our work these days. And there's already a lot of outside pressure and we don't need to tap into it. I think our highest work is playing, having fun, making sure our vibration is super high and that we're having a good time. Well, when you really get present, there's no distinction between work and play. Just what's next? You know, what's here? You know, people often say, David, do I, do I split my life between personal and professional? I haven't for 35 years. It's just all what's next because I don't want to be distracted even in my quote personal life. I don't want to be distracted by anything else in my personal life. You know, if I'm playing with my dog, I don't want to be thinking about doing the laundry. If I'm doing the laundry, I don't want to be thinking about playing with my dog. You know, I just want to be present with whatever I'm doing. And to your point, being that sense of being spontaneous of that sense of trusting your intuitive judgment, I think is, is really that to me, that was the end game, was feeling comfortable and confident that what I'm doing is exactly what I need to be doing. And many times that's, you know, running fast and many times that's doing nothing. Uh, but I, so I make as few rules as I can, you know, about any of that. Can you explain intuitive action? Well, trusting your gut, your heart, your liver, your, your, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to trust, that everybody's got a still small voice if you actually slowed down and listened, you know, that, that, that knows what to do. And so learning to trust that voice, uh, of course, most people are so distracted by so many things because they haven't, you know, managed these processes 
they can't tell the difference between intuition and indigestion. You know, is this, does this feeling mean I should do this or too much chili I ate for lunch? You know, who knows? So, you know, learning to, def- to, to distinguish what is your intuitive voice. You know? And uh, that's why I say getting clear and getting a clearer space makes it a lot easier to listen to that. One of my partners in, uh, ha- is a, a psychotherapist in South Africa. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, tell me the difference between, you know, your work as a psychotherapist uh, and a psychologist uh, and your therapies that you work with people and GTD. He said, well, before somebody implements getting things done, uh, they can't tell the difference about where their pressure is coming from. He said, uh, once they do getting things done, it doesn't mean it solves the problem, but it makes the problem much clearer and much easier for people to then grapple with what's really bothering them. So. I thought that was an interesting way to look at it, that you're still going to have, you know, issues and things like that that get in the way and perhaps cloud your consciousness. Uh, but getting, getting as clear as you can about everything that you can get clear about will make it much easier to deal with those things in some positive way. Mm. I hear a lot of people use the excuse of perfectionism, which blocks them from actually taking inspired action and being productive and prioritizing. So. Can you talk a little bit about perfectionism and productivity? In a way, they're right. Uh, a, a lot of what people, why people procrastinate is they don't want to do something and screw it up. So if you don't do anything, then you're not screwing up, except <laughs> the bigger screw up of I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so, you know, you're avoiding, you know, stepping into it. The greatest human fear is the fear of being out of control. I mean, people are killing themselves and each other as we speak just to either maintain or achieve a sense of psychological control. It's that powerful a driver and that powerful an addiction for us to feel like we have to sort of keep everything under control. And I doubt if anybody listening to this woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to be an incompetent jerk today. You know, so we, what, the way that, that sense of I need control is you don't want to step into something that you don't feel like you can engage with right away successfully. And so perfectionism says, wow, you know, I, I, this article I'm going to write or this blog I'm going to write or this podcast I'm going to do has got to be perfect uh, before. And so you don't even start. And so, you know, you don't feel like this is going to be absolutely successful when I start. So you hate jumping into that void. So your willingness to not be perfect, you know, as you may know, the best way to write a book is write a crappy first draft. Go ahead, start, <laughs> get going. You know, that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to get feedback for yourself. But, you know, the old, you know, if you remember the, the, the old movie Top Gun, you know, Tom Cruise and, and, you know, Maverick, engage, engage, you know, he's hung up because he can't engage because he's afraid. And so that's that fear of being out of control, that fear of stepping into something and not feeling that you can do it perfectly and in and under control when you start is is true, truly one of the biggest uh, hindrances that most people have to being productive. Mm. What do you attribute your success to with all of this? Well, I just stuck with this, you know, and and part of it is I, I think I, I I stumbled across something, Melissa, many many years ago that I think is so core to our experience as a human being, you know, so, you know, people often say, gee, this just David, this seems like, it seems like very simple stuff, but there's such profound, often transformational experiences that people have when they start to implement this. And I just discovered that, Hey, we seem to be on the planet to, to be accountable for where we have put our energy You can call it karma if you want. But you know, if you're going to, if you make any kind of a commitment internally or externally, you're going to eat it. You, you will, you, you will have to kind of put up with that or, or, or get rid of the agreement either one way or the other, but you, you, you need to understand how much attention is wrapped around the incompletes of our lives. 
And that's just such a key element that's, that's universal. And then, you know, once you handle that, then you, you can't stop being creative and producing things. So then you need to make sure that you organize your focus appropriately so you don't create more karma and, you know, don't create incompletions that you don't want to create. And so those two things called handle where you handle what's incomplete and then, you know, take accountability for where you're putting your focus are just such life skills. And I discovered, hey, a way to be able to describe that and create a methodology that implements that basic principle. So I'm, I don't change anything I say, no matter who I talk to. We're now teaching seven, eight, nine-year-old kids this. They get it. Uh, they get it easily. So, uh, th- you know, I've, I've been graced to have found, you know, a profession that you couldn't stop me from doing it if I tried. Because if, if I only had, and that when I started to design this work, I said, if I only had a day or two and I'd never see anybody again the rest of my life, what would I want them to know based upon my experience? And I'm still doing that. You know, I'll be 73 this year. So, I keep, I can't stop. <laughs> Some people ask me for it and so yeah, well, here's, here's how you do that. And, you know, it's, it's created such incredible, you know, improvement in so many people's lives out there. That's, you know, it's, a, it's wonderful to have stumbled onto a profession that does that. Mm, absolutely. So what are you working on within yourself or would like to improve at the moment? Well, uh, a lot of our, our, our work right now is, is, is making sure that, that this education as I've designed it and, and, you know, me and, and some other key people that have worked on, you know, building a global curriculum about this methodology and making sure that works and making sure it's as good as it can be. Um, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on the planet, but I figured that's, you know, that, that will leave a legacy so that a hundred years from now, this is, you know, has become part of our culture, it's become how we live and, and work. The next book coming out is Getting Things Done for Teenagers. Uh, that'll be out in, in, in the middle of the summer, in, in the States anyway. Oh, that's awesome. How is that going to differ from the original? The only differs in terms of just language and, and sort of, you know, reaching kids with, with you know, stuff that's in, important to them. You know, part of the theme of that is, are you ready? Are you ready to graduate? Are you ready for college? Are you ready for the test? Are you ready for the whatever? Are you ready? Are, you know, what are the things that you need to do? to keep yourself from being distracted and hooked, you know, hung up on social media or hung up on all these other kind of things. So it's like staying focused in a world that's, that's, that's so distracting. And so it's really sort of targeting kids. I, I met a woman uh, a few weeks ago. She's got an 11-year-old son. She looked at his phone and he has 500 WhatsApp messages at 11 years old. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But how does he even have 500 friends? <laughs> You could only have two friends, but that's how they talk, you know. So oh, it's right, like, right, right, right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge amount of messaging going on. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, uh, other than how addictive that stuff can be and how much it may be keeping kids from doing the deeper work and the deeper thinking that they may need to be doing. And so how do you stay distracted? And kids don't want to get so much out of overwhelm. They want to get out of jail. In other words, <laughs> they're both more focused on how do I get the car? How do I learn how to ride a horse? How do I, how do I learn how to write software? You know, they want to be able to have the freedom to go do some of those things they want to be able to do. So framing this methodology is, Hey, here's how you get there, kid. You know, if you want to, what's your next step? What's your next act? And so we've had parents that have raised their kids, you know, their whole lives with this methodology and the kids just, you know, they're just, they just, you know, the world is their oyster, you know, once they were trained to think this way. So that's a lot of where, what I'm focused on is making sure this is left, that legacy is out there for as many people in, as want it and, and can and start to utilize it. So that's, that's a big one. 
and keeping myself relaxed and healthy and you know my wife and i love the quality of life here in amsterdam so we're riding their bikes and we walk the dog and you know and we enjoy good food and drink and you know so just enjoying life and just making sure that i'm sort of taking advantage of all that stuff and listening to my intuitive you know notions about where to go and what to do that's awesome that you're doing a teenage version because i was going to say that I wish I had have read this book in high school because it would have just helped me so much. Which leads me to my next question. Besides your book, if you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, what book would you choose? Mm, Good question. You know, a really great book is uh, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, and learning how to deal with habits and create habits and undo the habits that don't work and install new habits that do work. So any of that stuff, and there's a good bit of writing out there now about focus and attention and habit change and things like that. So I'm not sure I would pick any one particular one of those, but I'm looking up at my bookshelf right now, and that's the one that sort of sticks out at me. You know, Charles is a he's a you know a champion of my stuff, and, and uh, you know he's written uh, really good stuff. Yeah, I love that. We'll link to that in the show notes. We'll link to your book as well in the show notes. I get this question a lot, and I'm sure you get it too, but. They say, how can I create new habits? Do you have any tips on that? First of all, I'll steal this from Charles because one of his key ideas, which is really great, is, is look for the keystone habits. Don't go try to change 12 habits. Find one habit that if you changed that one and installed it, uh, it would then kind of like a domino effect. It would affect a lot of other things. For a lot of people, that would probably be exercise. You know, if you started to exercise regularly, it starts to improve your self-esteem and improves your self-confidence. And then that makes, gives you a lot more inner strength to then tackle some of the other things that you might want to tackle in terms of new habits to build and so forth. So find a keystone habit, you know, for some, something that's a, a really, you know, um, one that would make a big difference, uh, uh, you know, in your life and in, and in your work if you, if you installed that or got rid of that, whichever you're trying to do. And then pick small get small little wins it's the micro stuff you know the tiny habits uh that's also a great book uh by uh bj fogg i believe yeah fogg f-o-g-g is his last name tiny habits it's great pick one little thing you know every time you brush your teeth do one push-up you know don't do don't go try to do 75 push-ups just do one you know uh floss one tooth (laughs) just take a tiny little thing and then you start to feel successful about that. And of course, as you can probably realize, if you do one, well, I can do another one. Oh, I can do another one. So if you pick a little win, then it sort of gives you the confidence to engage and to keep going. And so I'd say pick key areas and just create some little wins in, 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 that, in that way. And then consistently do that. You know, one of the sayings that, I, you know, that I've used for years is small things done consistently in strategic places create big results. To find the little things to start to do that if you do those, you know, maybe just, you know, meditate for five day, five minutes a day. If you're not doing that regularly, you know, um, every time you, and that is kind of good to build it into habits you already have. Like, uh, you know, I think, uh, fog rec- recommends, like you pick something like you, you're going to, you're going to brush your teeth anyway. Right. So every time you brush your teeth, go drink a glass of water, you know, if you need to hydrate more. Uh, so those kinds of things. So those are, those would be my tips for anybody. Pick key, pick some key, a key area or two, and then give yourself some small little cheap wins, you know, in that regard and do them, start to do them consistently. 
Yeah, I love that. Great tips. Now, I'm fascinated with hearing about how people prime themselves the day and how they set themselves up for success. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? Well, there are a couple of things I do routinely, but I try to give myself as few rules as possible. My, my morning routine actually starts the night before. Uh, so the night before, I look at my calendar, and my calendar has, you know, as you, as you know, I coach people that your calendar should only have the hard landscape, you know, external commitments, things that, that would die if you don't do them. You know, I, I, don't, I don't fill up my calendar with to-dos that I might not get a time to do. I, I need to trust that I look at my calendar, and that's real stuff. So last night I saw, hey, I got to be up at eight o'clock in the morning to talk to Melissa. So <laughs> it, it lets me know how long I can sleep because I, ha- I happen to be a, a real fiend for sleep. I love sleep. I, I sleep as long as I can. So I like the night before I look at my sort of landscape for the next day to let me know how long I can sleep. Then when I get up, I have a glass of lemon water and then a cup of French press coffee. And somewhere around then, dog has to go out. And so you know, either if, if, if my wife hasn't done that, then I'll take the dog out for a walk. And then, you know, I have a protein drink. And after that, who knows? I, I make no particular plans about that. But again, a lot of why I am able to trust myself uh, about trusting my intuition is something, as you probably know, a key, key element to the getting things done methodology is what we identify as the weekly review. Once a week, not every hour, every day, but once a week, clean up and get current and pull up the rear guard essentially. And, and I, and I, if you do that once a week, give yourself a good hour or two, catch up and clean up and, and sort of refocus and make sure you haven't missed anything that maybe has shown up in the last week or so, get it into the system, you know, make sure everything's squeaky clean, you're ready to go. Then it's much easier for me to trust my intuition. As I say that a lot of that sort of hardwires my intuitive judgments, because as I say, you don't have time to think you need to have already thought. So I don't have time to think on a minute-to-minute day basis. I just need to trust that I've looked at these different horizons of my commitments, and I've looked at all my stuff and caught my system up enough and got my head, you know, clear up, cleared up enough that I can then, you know, trust my sort of minute-to-minute uh, decision making as I'm moving around out there. Yeah, I love that. I do a clean up at the end of my day every day. I kind of just look over what I've got on for the next day, I make sure any loose ends are kind of tied off because I can then close my laptop for the day and know that I don't have anything hanging over me. And it's a really nice feeling. It's a really nice feeling. I kind of look over everything, look at my calendar, make sure I've done everything, check any last emails, close the computer down. But I'm the same as you. I like to, in my digital calendar that's on my computer and on my iPhone, I like to leave as much white space as I possibly can. So I don't schedule back-to-back things. I don't you know, jam-pack my calendar because I don't want to be overwhelmed and stressed. I don't want to be running from one thing to the next. And I know some people, they literally live like that. They literally live racing from one thing to the next. And to me, that just causes way too much stress and overwhelm in my mind. So in my, I live by my digital calendar like you do. And literally, it's just the big things that are in there. And then I try and leave lots of space for flow and spontaneity and, you know, whatever I feel like doing in that moment. So I think that's a really big tip with productivity and creating space for you to do your deep work is, is 
leaving a lot of white space. It's something that's really helped me because I used to be a jam packer, squeeze as many things in as possible. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, you know, I, I plan as little as I can get by with uh, for the same reason. Uh, many, many of the executives that I coach, one of the big uh, ahas that they get is that if you don't have a good 90 minutes of white space on a day, on, during a day, you're going to get behind. Because most people, it takes it will take somewhere between 30 and 90 minutes just to stay current with new incoming. Not cleaning up backlog, but just dealing with what's going to show up that day. You need at least an hour and a half of white space. And, you know, sometimes I let myself get jammed wall to wall, but I'm not kidding myself. I'm going to pay the piper, you know, for that. And, and you know, many times I'm, you know, traveling and on meetings and delivering seminars and doing speeches and so forth and, you know, like wall to wall. Um, but that's okay as long as I know I've got the day after, <laughs> to, you know, to clean up and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use that time to make sure that happens. The weekly review helps a lot because you'll start to see if you actually do need to do time blocking. People often ask, do I time block? And, and I don't because my lifestyle doesn't really require that, that, that much. But a lot of people who are out there and especially people who have other people putting things on their calendar, you know, if they do a sort of regular review, they go, Oh my God, this, I've got to have this business proposal by next Friday or I'm toast. And my calendar is already getting filled up. That's when they might need to then look ahead and block out two hours on Tuesday afternoon and go into a conference room and get that handled. So it's, there are times when you, when you just need to do that. But to your point, just being aware that you need space to regroup, to refresh, to regenerate. And, you know, that's not only just, you know, to sort of do what you feel like doing, but the regeneration of your cognitive function. Now, a lot of the new research in, in cognitive science has proven how necessary it is for your brain to, re- to relax because you're going to sub-optimize your thinking process if you're just constantly thinking all the time. You need to stop. Every 90 minutes, you need to take at least a five-minute break and just walk around and do nothing, you know, daydream, you know, nothing else. Uh, and that's why, you know, nap in the afternoon. You know, I've been doing that now for the last five or six years. Uh, whenever I can afford to do that, you know, a good 20 to 40-minute nap, you know, mid-afternoon works better than a cup of coffee. Uh, and it, uh, they know now how critical that is and sleeping on things so you can solve, make, you know, solve problems. All of that, you know, has just now been validated by a lot of the new research in terms of how our brains work and how our brains don't work. <laughs> and everybody thinks that your, your mind has got an infinite capacity. It doesn't. Uh, and so you need to make sure it, it rests. So having rest time or time that you're doing nothing or is unplanned is really quite healthy. I used to think, well, I'm just lazy, but now, now with all the new cognitive science, I'm just, I'm just smart. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Well, there was a good reason to actually sleep as long as I could. That's why I'm a massive believer in meditation. You know, for me, it's that time. I don't take naps, but it's that same sort of rejuvenation that I feel when I meditate every day. It's just like, church for me. You know, I really need it because I'm I otherwise I'll I'll burn myself out. And I love what you said before about, you know, if you are wall to wall and sometimes life requires you to be looking at your calendar and going, "Okay, cool. Well, tomorrow I've got some white space there so I can get through this and then I'm going to literally lay starfish on the grass somewhere and just soak up some sunshine and really rejuvenate." I think that's really important. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. So I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Relax. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, what's one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Focus on the experience that you think that will give you. Yeah, and the feeling, the feeling of that. See, a lot of people want the red Porsche uh, because they want more of a sense of freedom and adventure, and then they get the red Porsche, and then they're afraid it's going to get dinged, and they, the insurance payments, and, they, and, and they, they have no freedom and no fun. What happened? Well, they, they forgot freedom and fun was what they were really after. So the more you focus on what experience, you know, success and abundance give you, what's the feeling you will have? How would you be? That starts to create the room in there to start to recognize both how to get there, but it also, you know, starts to make your life just feel that more abundant to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Love more. So simple and free. Well, you, you, you get what you put out, you know, so you, you don't, well, you actually get what you need. It's funny, you know, I, I, I use the, the, the analogy. I said, when you go to housewarmings and parties, you know, who do you take the most expensive gifts to? The people who need them the most? Hardly. Say, wow, they have a nice big house. They have a lot of expensive things. We have to, they've created an entry price. So you have to bring them expensive stuff. So you feel comfortable walking in there. So, you know, life doesn't give you what you need. It gives you what you put out, which in a deeper way is what you need. You know, you need the feedback. The same is true with love, same is true as abundance, same is true as anything. You want more of it, give, give more of it. And then it moves you into that space. And people, nobody, everybody loves a lover. Very true. What are three things you're most recently grateful for? I'm grateful for my dog. I found out she's got a heart condition. She's 11 years old, which is you know, kind of old for her breed anyway. But just found out she has a heart condition. So I don't know how, how her days are potentially numbered, but I'm now we just are so thankful every day that she's around because she just opens our heart and she's a wonderful, wonderful pet. So that's one. My wife is just an incredible partner and friend, you know, and uh, so whenever I look and she's gorgeous and, you know, we've been together for mm, what, 28 years, something like that. And uh, so there's, that's, that's another. And just this uh, incredible, uh, life that I'm able to live right now with the number, the kind of people that, that are interested in my work and that, that I've, you know, wound up creating relationships with. They're just some of the best, brightest, coolest, most fun, interesting people in the planet. So, you know, just being thankful for those experiences and being able to live the kind of life I'm living right now is, is a daily thing I'm grateful for. Beautiful. And congratulations, 28 years. What is your secret? Or your biggest tips to a happy, long marriage? Keep it shallow. <laughs> what do you mean by that? We joke about that, but it, it, in a way, it's, it's sort of like, hey, come on, lighten up about all that. You know, we say that that's a key to a long relationship is make sure you don't get too deep. <laughs> we, we laugh about that, but there is that. There actually, in a way, is a little bit of truth in that as well. Um, I don't know. I, 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 Catherine's number four for me. So after three, I figured I wasn't very good at it. So I sort of gave it up and then sort of ran across somebody who was going to take me exactly as I was and, you know, and sort of be a good playmate and partner for the rest of my life. And she just turned out to be that person. So it was kind of like once I gave it up, it showed up in spades. So, you know, what can I say? That's maybe that's a key is don't get too invested uh, in that and make sure you handle yourself. 
you know, the, obviously the relationship, the more comfortable you are in your own skin, the better the relationship, any of all your relationships are going to be. So make sure you take care of yourself. And then that's, 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 I guess maybe my key advice. Yeah, absolutely. Got to look after ourselves, make sure we're overflowing with love within ourselves first. So important. Sure. Have you always been into personal development and growth? Mm, more, I guess more consciously since the late 60s. You know, I, I was first a, a philosophy major because I was sort of interested in God, truth, and the universe. And I thought, well, philosophers maybe have the key to that. So I've, I've been curious about that and culture and things like that. And so then I, philosophers became a little boring to me. Then I, then I got involved in history, which was more interesting to me terms of just cycles of things as things were going on so i've always been fascinated in, to see what were trends and what were models and what were paradigms and i don't think we used the word back then but that's what i got fascinated with about how we are affected how we think you know and being as lazy as i am i thought look if i could figure out how to get control of the stuff you can't see but that seemed to be running the world uh then make it a lot easier you know, to figure out there seems to be something much bigger than what we see that's, that's running what we see, uh, whatever you want to call that, you know, the great thing in the sky or the great thing, the great invisible, the, the, the bigger thing that's going on. So trying to get a hold of that was, has been a, you know, a, a very interesting thing. And then that's where a lot of my experience in the martial arts and meditation and spiritual practices really started to become a lot more conscious, you know, in the late sixties. So, you know, I've been meditating for, 50 years. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So, so amazing. Well done. Before we go, is there anything else that you want to share? Anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about or any last parting words of wisdom? No, I think we <clears throat> covered all the bases as far as I can see, Melissa. Uh, this was fun. It was so fun. And I just want to say thank you for your work, your book. It was just amazing. It's life-changing for me and my husband. And I'm grateful for all of the work that you're doing out there in the world. And for this interview today, I'm really, really grateful. But I'm a massive believer in service. And I want to know how I today and the listeners can serve you. How can we serve you today? Well, you can serve me by uh, <clears throat> just being more aware of everything we've been talking about and, and taking care of yourself, uh, taking advantage of these. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you have something worthwhile to share and nobody's listening so <laughs> so i so just listen up and if this rang your bell at all get my book or just get around people who are doing this or find you know you can go to my website gettingthingsdone.com you'll see a lot of where our partners are doing trainings around the world so just being involved in this methodology and then sharing it with anybody you know is going to improve the planet that'd be that'd be the best way to serve me as i can think of right now we will definitely do that. Thank you so much, David. This has been awesome. So grateful to be able to speak with you. Thank you for getting up early to talk to me as well. I'm very grateful. My pleasure, Melissa. This was fun. I hope you guys got a lot out of today's episode. Like I mentioned, productivity and organization, it's not something that I struggle with, but I really do hope that you took some nuggets of wisdom away from this episode. And if you loved it, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app. 
because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget, you can tell me on social media, either on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that David and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 119. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Just a reminder, if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, you can do that right now. And all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. Everyone that has taken this masterclass is loving it. So go on over there and check it out. It's so awesome. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, be an angel and please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, you can share it with them on social media or email or text it to them. Do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.